Are you an ambitious, driven entrepreneur starting to feel overwhelmed, maybe a little trapped by your business? Well, I have a solution for you. It is the five-day bottleneck to breakthrough challenge, where in an hour a day, we will give you the roadmap, the blueprint, the treasure map to where you can find yourself with more free time, more freedom of money, and a more valuable business. Hope to see you soon www.bottlenecktobreakthrough.com. We're going to talk about leadership today with Lisa Hayden. And if you're like me, you find that leadership is such a generic word these days that it's super hard to know what it means. And so Lisa and I are going to go deep on that. We're going to go deep on how you can be a better leader in your business and some of the things you need to think about. So join us today. This is The Real Bottom Line, where we tell entrepreneurial stories about true grit and perseverance from frontline business owners themselves. Now, let's get started. Hello and welcome to The Real Bottom Line. Today, my guest is Lisa Hayden. She is the founder and CEO of Pivotal Growth. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you, Wendy. I'm so excited for our conversation. You know what's exciting about our conversation is it's like your fifth anniversary of being in business. Congratulations. Thank you. That is an achievement. Thank you. Well, and throw in a 2020-2021 dynamic, and it's been um, a harder five years and a harder journey of entrepreneurialism than than typically there is. Few more challenges, few more challenges, you know, where five years feels like 10. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. yes. Well, maybe it's just the amount of lessons we got, double the lessons in shorter time. Yes. Yeah. It was the speed, speed learning on uh, how to get through a pandemic and rapid changes to business and, and interacting. No kidding, eh? So five years ago, what made you decide? Mm. to put out your own shingle? It was a corporate moment I describe where what had been brewing for a little while, I was struggling with my value. And I wasn't sure while I worked as part of big teams and doing some really great work in professional services, I wasn't sure what I was actually contributing and having impact on. And during that time, I got my coaching certification And it was there that the clients that I practiced on to get my um, certification had said, you're different, you know, you're really helping. There's a lot of really great things. And so there's sort of this little bit of the wonderment. I wasn't happy where I was at. There was some happiness in this executive coaching work. I had a corporate moment that I was really unhappy with. And I went home to my husband and I said, I'm quitting my corporate job. And he said to me, finally. He said, this has been coming for a while, while. go build that coaching business. You'll be great and have fun. And so it was like this. And people said, you know, did you, did you worry about it? Did you stew on it? It was sort of brewing in my mind. And when there, that moment happened, it was a snap decision and no looking back at all. A TSN turning point. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Yep. All in, all in. (laughs) So it's interesting. You worked for a lot of larger firms prior to Mm. starting your own thing. And so, and you were a high performer in there. And so you were, you know, in the management and the higher levels, et cetera. How did that help? And how did that hinder? Mm. What made me good in those corporate roles was a really strong business acumen. Um, And so that was, you know, one of my strengths. I could quickly figure things out. I understood business. I could see the path forward. 
that helped me a lot in business. And so when I left um, corporate, I had, you know, almost 25 years experience, which is a lot, a lot of experience. Uh, and then when I started the business where that, you know, when I stepped in, it was like, I knew, I know this, I know that I didn't know running a business. Um, but because of seeing a lot of business transactions, I did um, small business lending, I did commercial lending, I did capital markets work, I had a lot of business transaction experience. So I knew a lot and seen a lot of businesses and business models. Um, and, and I would say that I had been influenced by these corporate lending models and decision making models of what did work and didn't work, what was worthy of credit and funding and what wasn't. And so my lens has always been like, you know, that's not a good business model. That's it, right. So, so instead of the, the framing it up and, and trying it, um, I would have too much experience that would judge it. And that stands out even more. I work with a number of, of high growth tech founders and many of them are young, right? They're, you know, in the, you know, 30 age demographic and what they don't know is their advantage. And because they don't have all this bias or experience, or they just are like, well, we're going this way. It's what we believe, you know, here's the path forward. And they're all in where for me, it'd be like, well, I've seen that I've seen this and I've seen this. And that puts a seed of doubt in what I'm thinking about these, these, you know, younger uh, growth, growth stage tech founders, just, just jump in. You know, I, I relate to that. When I think I got into my business, I feel, um, I didn't know what I should know. And I didn't have anyone telling me how it should be. And that mm. made a big difference. But then fast forward to my 16th year. And now I have those same forces sometimes. And I want a fresh perspective that someone is, who's not been there, done that. I want some fresh. Yeah. So that's, yeah. that's fascinating. So you probably learn from those clients just as much as you help them. Exactly. Yeah. I love working with them, right? They're one of my favorite clients. And I always make sure I have a, a, a group of them in my uh, mix of clients. That's amazing. These interesting pieces, um, you pivoted a little bit from sales back in the day or coaching mm. to more of a leadership role. I would love for you, for our listeners to define leadership, because I feel like it's used all over the place to the point where sometimes I don't even register what it is anymore. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think the way I've, I've started to reconcile it is that there are three styles of leadership, managing, leading, and coaching. Okay. Managing is getting work done with others. You, 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 you dig in, sometimes you're in the midst of it um, and you just make it all happen. Yeah. Leadership is getting work done through others. It's actually the scalable model, right? So you're empowering, enabling and accountability and really good delegation. Um, and then the coaching is how you develop people and really um, create that high performance. And so many people interchange managing and leading. But what I see is there are a lot of people that lean very heavily on that managing side, that managerial hands-on, in control, very tight um, influence to what's happening. And the really great le leaders just really empower their team. You know, Patrick Lencioni's high, um, uh, five dysfunctions of a team are, is, is a really great reference point for that. So that for me is that leadership is the, the really getting work done through others. You delegate really effectively, you empower, you use an ask style um, and you really inspire and motivate others to do their work if they're not completely dependent on you. Thank you for that definition. That was, that's really enlightening. I'd like to, I'd like to dig down a little bit on parts of that if we could. And that is in particular, 
around what you said about managing through others, getting work done through others. It feels like there's a couple components to there, but part of it is, uh, it seems like trust with your team. It's about delegation, effectively delegating, because I think that's a skill on its own. Mm. How would you comment on those? Like if you were talking to uh, an entrepreneur today and just saying, hey, you need to delegate or you need to do this, you got to let go a little before you can grow. How, how do you frame that up for them? How do you help them mm. make, the, those, um, make those big moves? Because that's a big move. It, it is, yeah, it's, it, because it's, it's what the managing got them to where they are. Right. The leadership is how they scale their company and themselves. And so it's a, it's a total shift. Two ways that I would I would get at it. First would be baseline assessments. Um, and so I actually do um, some you know, the diagnostic, which on um, my own proprietary tool, but then I also do some predictive personality assessments. And that trust and delegation that you talk about is attached to one psychological, one of the big fives is control. Yeah. And so what it is, is that, you know, if you go back to an old Jim Collins reference is, is the bus analogy, right? Really great managers sit in the driver's seat with their hands on the steering wheel, and they are not giving up that position. A great leader may be in the co-pilot seat, or they may be sitting further back in the bus, and they've let their hands go off the wheel to let someone else drive and navigate. Um, and so it absolutely comes down to a, 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 an intrinsic, right, a psychological attribute of how they view um, trust and um, delegation. And so it is a very hard, and most of the, the leaders that I, I work with, they have a very high level of control, which means that they trust, trust is fragile. And if they had their way, they don't like to delegate. So they're having to flex, they're having to learn how to flex and learn new aspects of themselves if they really want to get to that really effective place of getting work done through, through others and building high-performing teams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> the an analogy... I'll have to come back to that. There's a question there for me. Um, okay, you built a technology platform. So uh, as an entrepreneur and a business owner who has looked at this in the past and done it, uh, but I had a good, um, someone I could trust to manage it. I've always struggled with the innovative process of that. How did you come up with it? How, how did you know what to build? Mm. And then how did you know that the people you were you worked with to build it knew what they were doing. Yeah, great question. Um, I ended up not building it myself, mm -hmm. and so I've got this philosophy that a lot of what I've done is where I can buy it, I will rather than build it. So I use outsourcing a ton, and so rightly or wrongly, while I'm I am a typical high risk um, appetite entrepreneur because of this uh, lane not being my normal lane. I took a more cautious approach and I was through my networks. So as you know, I'm a good networker and I sustain relationships. And one of my former um, colleagues had also left to become an entrepreneur and he was building a tech platform for consultants. And he and I were keeping in touch over time, just chatting. And as my business was going, I was specializing in these cohort programs. And so I go into these groups and I had anywhere from 15 to 20. And so I I'd learned that getting them to do these self-assessments or these little exercises that get them in the reflective mode to get them out, because most of these um, high-performance cultures are moving super fast. But what it meant was when I go in to do these events or you know, some of the various milestones along the way, it was a whole lot of paper. 
And one day I was complaining to him and I just said, you know, hey, VC, this is getting out of control and just, you know, it's you know, bogging me down, you know, any ideas? And he goes, Lisa, that's my tech platform. And I said, what do you mean? He said, I can take all those assessments and we can put them into a tech platform. And he said, I can AI enable it. We can build the correlations. He said, I can do some custom development. Um, and so that's where we started. And we just started experimenting. So I became one of his, his early clients, which you know has a good and a bad to it. Yeah. Um, but so then we, we, we started on that. And so I experimented, I'm very client centric. And so I experimented a lot with my clients um, and then would come back to him. Uh, and based on you know, my client feedback, we would evolve it. Bottom line is I'm high control, typical entrepreneur. It was a trust-based decision. I trusted this former colleague implicitly, um, super, super smart, you know, a, a real visionary, very innovative. You know, I really liked what he was saying. And he said, I can get you there, Lisa. And I went, okay, I'm in. So and that was sort of timing, circumstance, network, trust, you know, relationship. Mm. Um, and, you know, here we are, you know, three, three plus years. So I started to build it pre-pandemic. Okay. That's interesting. I love that you went back and iterated. I feel like, um, you know, that's a little bit of the agile methodology. You know, I don't, I'm a, don't try and get it perfect right out of the gate. Um, did that was that hard for you to do, to not be perfect out of the gate? Like, yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. How did you reconcile that? How did you coach yourself mm. through that? Um, well, one, I have, I always have a business coach. Um, and so that, that is sort of the, where those moments are. Um, the other one, I think what I fought with is imposter syndrome is, you know, who am I to build a diagnostic, right? I'm a corporate leader who has enterprise sales expertise, who's a certified coach, who'd never been exposed to any type of psychological testing or, you know, done deep consulting work until she started her business. So what gave me the credibility and perspective to do what I was doing? Um, and it was interesting. It was a conversation with someone in the U.S. who um, was in a, a, a business doing similar to what I did. And I was having one of those moments of questioning what I was doing. And she said to me, are you selling it? And I said, yeah. And she said, well, what are your clients saying? And I said, well, they love it. They're happy with it. And she said, well, then just keep doing it. Keep selling it. Keep getting the feedback. Keep evolving it. Because I got, I started getting stuck on this whole valid and reliable thing, and that I needed to get really technically and academically accurate. And she said to me, "Lisa, your client is the judge of that." Um, and she said, "You maybe will. You can always go back and do that." But she said, "Just keep experimenting." Um, so that was a super helpful conversation that I started, you know, kind of saying, "Okay, it's not about what I think; it's about what my clients think." That's a fascinating piece. I think sometimes um, we build what we think the clients want versus what they need. So that that constant check-in probably helped a lot too. And then having someone to just tell you like it is. Yeah, you know, exactly. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, when it came to investing that technology program and other things. So as you build out programs, as you build out other things in your business, that require resourcing like uh, partners, time, money. How do you decide which ones to invest in? 
And do you have a roadmap so that, oh, this one's going to be a chunkier one. It's going to take more resources. I'm going to put it out a little further. Like, how do you, how do you mm. yourself through all those things? Yeah. Uh, so earlier days, it was based on, you know, a client, I sold something without having it. And, and so then I would be reactive and, Tell and, sort and of build like, it. Uh-huh. Yeah. I think we've all uh, done that. Yeah. And then um, through good advice of mentors and even uh, VC who, who's uh, Norkit is the platform I use was like you, you need to start thinking about the roadmap he said you know you've, you've got some traction and so then I started to get more intentional and get um build out that roadmap and where I was going and look to the future and 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 be more intentional because my business has gotten to a place that I've got a good business what is the work I really want to do right early days you, you're taking any work right you're experimenting I took work that in my gut told me I shouldn't have, but I learned from it. I learned, you know, there was always a learning and that's how I got clearer and clearer. So then that, that roadmap, that strategy, those two pieces are both important, right? There's the strategy for the business and then the roadmap, roadmap for the product. Um, so that, that shapes it out and then having other people weigh in on it um, and test testing my, um, my thinking around it as well. So Far from perfect, but there is the framework and the routine around looking at that. Um, and then, you know, it's it's the functionality, right? What's the vision uh, for the product and what do you need for the, the functionality that goes along with that? If you're really going to scale, um, you know, I can get to a certain amount of scale now, but there was, well, I just finished investing in report automation. Um, which was a bigger spend. And so I was doing everything by, you know, PowerPoint. So I'd extract all the data mm-hmm. um, and I'd create, um, and I had a standard template, but it was still creating, taking from the system so to time. the report. Yeah. Um, and I had people, I trained people to do it, but, you know, all of a sudden you, you've got 15 people, 20 people, 25 reports to do. And it's like, oh boy, right? right? Yeah. So that as the business model was growing and the scalability and the interest of the diagnostic was growing, um, you know, when I have these 25, you know, um, batches of reports, I had to have automation. Yeah, I love that. We believe strongly in automating the predictable. Mm-hmm. And uh, that that technology can reduce your costs after the initial invest because it's taking time off your plate. It's taking time off others. It's allocating resources differently. Exactly. Do you feel like your entire life is about reaching the pinnacle of business success? Solid referrals, a steady stream of leads in the pipeline, profit year after year. But what's next for you? Are you going to keep working hard, hoping that the money will magically start multiplying in ways that you don't even know about now? Maybe you'll pick up an investment property or two to add to your portfolio. Can you even retire? Can you step back or step away or exit completely and not lose everything you've built? If you don't have the answers to these questions, you are not alone. This is exactly why I created the Total Wealth Accelerator, a program designed specifically to show you, the successful business owner, how to build your own private wealth portfolio. Because there's more to you than your business, and there should be more to your wealth than what you make from the business you've created. I want to show you how. Go to the Total Wealth Accelerator now to learn more. That's TotalWealthAccelerator.com. One of the things that's coming up for me now is to ask this question. You are a CEO, yet you also are working in the business heavily. Mm. How do you carve off CEO time? What does CEO time mean for you? And how do you guard it? Mm. 
Yes. The honest answer is I don't do it as well as I should. Um, but what do you tell others to do then? Because I'm (laughs) time well, so time time blocking, right? And and the one the the framework I've used since very early on in my business that still has resonance is the Stephen Covey time management time management matrix, right? The important and urgent, the important, not urgent. And, you know, the last two years have been the perfect example. We have done nothing but work in important and urgent and have forgotten about the important, not urgent, which is what you're getting to. So that is how do you, um, you know, time plan to make sure that you are getting that important not urgent so time blocking is a big is a big one um, the other one is building in mechanisms like uh, coaching uh, and uh, one of the things for me that's been great is my husband um, has joined the company so he is a strategist at his core like that is his lane and so he has this discipline about the way he approaches a strategy and mm. you know operationalizing it and and he challenges me uh, a lot more and so we have a standing um, daily meeting uh, and you know he creates sometimes there is structure sometimes there isn't sometimes we go back to some of our foundational documents um, and we've just got some tools and templates um, and you know his own cadences that he's using to get me out of the weeds and big picture um, looking at some of that so it's improving um, but still uh, always room for more improvement. Absolutely. I think time blocking becomes so important. And I realized myself that that was, I just have to put some time in the calendar, guard it as much mm-hmm. as possible. Otherwise it's, it's always going to be on the side of my desk and that way that slows down advancement. Um, I love that you have daily meetings. I am a big proponent of a meeting rhythm. When you're working with clients and they're growing, what do you recommend from a meeting rhythm perspective? Mm. Well, it depends who I'm working with. So are we talking like the CEO founder? Yeah, let's start start with that. Mm. Yeah. Um, So uh, the rhythm or the cadence is the term I use is Mm -hmm. huge. And there would be um, the cadence for themselves, right? So leadership development has got to be part of their own, you know, their self-development um, and professional development. The cadence with their team, right? The, so the senior leadership mm-hmm. team, if there is one, um, and then some of the one-to-one. And interestingly, one-to-one, I find sometimes gets traded off or pushed off. Mm-hmm. And yet that one-to-one is probably um, the most important time that really helps to not only connect you with your team member, but have some really candid, productive conversation about, you know, expectation setting, you know, check-in, and then um, what's next. How often should they be having the one-on-one? I'm assuming this is with key reports. Mm, At least once a week. Okay. Yeah, that would be my view. Can you go over your agenda again? Um, the CEO time, founder CEO time. So it's with a coach or advisor or mentor mm-hmm. at leaders, senior leadership time, uh, mm-hmm. at least once a week. Uh, and then one-to-one time, at least once a week. And you that is, to, yeah, sorry, 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 one add-on is that's leadership. If there's, um, you know, if the founder CEO has some input on the sales function or the sales work stream, there should also be the the cadence that goes along with that, right? So to me, there's the leadership and then there's the sales function and those create two distinctive cadence streams. Where do you stand on stand-up meetings? (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, well, I'm hoping they're returning. Um, yeah, I, I like the ad hoc um, from time to time. And, and part of that is that at our core, the informal or the, the unstructured can create some, you know, sharing and ideas that may not happen in a structure, right? And I, in the Zoom structure, you know, agendas have become more important. Managing time has become more important. So there's not as much uh, free flow. Mm. As, as if we were meeting in person or we were in the shared space. Um, but that, that's likely not to return because the hybrid teams or hybrid offices are gonna pers persist. So, so there's almost like this orchestration of the rigor of meetings um, and then a slight orchestration of the stand-up meetings too, right? To make sure the team is having that time just to chat and talk and- This is the social, the, to the bonding part of that. Is that forming, storming, norming? Exactly. Um, you talk a lot about partners and you talked about the partner through your network for your IT platform. How, do you have a criteria list that you look at when you're considering a partner? What are you looking for in partners and how do you make sure that it's mm. How do you, I know you can't 100% insurance test, but how do you make success more probable? Yeah. Um, I would say it's a slow, um, slow evolution. There's a couple elements, slow evolution. Relationship is key, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I've found shared values, mm -hmm. um, finding the shared philosophy, uh, things like, uh, and it sounds simple, but client centricity. So the, the partners that I work with are all the utmost client centricity that comes first. So, you know, they will put the client before their own success to make sure that their client's happy. Mm. Um, and for me, that's a big motivator. Uh, I actually do psychological testing on my partners. So you have a preferred test uh, methodology. I use one that's called Taze um, and it's a performance centric one, not a big branded one. It's predictive. Um, and so interestingly, the partner who I got introduced, so I trial the number of them and I trial them with my clients. So my clients are all high performance. They're, they're strong personalities they're opinionated. So I, I'd say, I'm going to give you two tests. You tell me which one resonates the most with you. So I went through DISC, went through PI, went through Hogan assessment, and I'm certified in both Taze and Hogan assessment, but my clients kept coming back and saying, we like Taze. We like taste. So that's that's stuck. So I do the assessment with them. And then what I do is I show them what's called the team interaction, which mm -hmm. is me with them. And what we then talk through is where our tensions are, where we're alike and where we're different and where our tension points were, will arise. Mm. Um, and so I, I do it with my um, my EAVA. Um, and so I just brought in a new team member in August. Um, I've just brought in a subcontractor business analyst, and I've done the same with him. Um, I work very um, uh, extensively with vision coaching, Dave Vale. Yeah. Um, and that was, so we're about three and a half years, almost four years into our partnership. That was part of one of our foundations, right? So um, that, that happens. And then once you've made those decisions, it's nurturing that relationship, right? Checking in. So Dave Vale and I have a biweekly standing meeting. Um, the, you know, my VEAVA, we've got a weekly standing check-in meeting. Um, so all those things that, you know, even though I do a lot of subcontracting, those cadences that keep you connecting and having conversations is a part of that relationship building um, that, that solidifies you for the good times and when those bumps happen along the way. The, um, do you have a day of the week that you do all that stuff? 
I think of those things as working on business type stuff. So I do it all. I do as many of those on Mondays as I can. Mm, yeah. And one of the early days of my business, I met an entrepreneur and she talked about her admin day. And I wasn't doing that. And so Monday morning and Friday afternoons are my, my admin days. Yeah. It's so, all in the admin days. Yes. Yes. And that's my least favorite thing to do because that is not energy, you know, granting for me, but you know, it is so important. So as soon as I can find an outsource, an outsource option for those admin and details, I am investing in that and doing that. <laughs> so um when you think about your client base or the, uh, the work you've done for the last five years, is there something common that the most common mistakes or things that people could be working mm. on and changing that would enhance their productivity, their success, all those things? That is a great question. I, I think the frame of, ref, frame of reference I put on is the last two years. Mm -hmm. One of the um, attributes that I measure both from TASE, the personality assessment, and also from the diagnostic is distractibility um, or focus. Mm -hmm. And uh, in the last two years, what I've seen is a real elevation of distractibility or the other way to frame it is a deterioration in focus. And understandably so, right? Like you, people have become super reactive. You know, they're trying to figure things out. The, the consequence to that is that it takes you away from what you should be putting your time and energy on. Um, and so then your time gets depleted and your energy gets depleted and you're not really getting to, you know, sometimes even the important and urgent, let alone the important, not urgent. So that, that is something I see that. And I, I would say consistently, I'm having a lot of conversations with folks around that. The other thing I see is just there's a, um, in some of the, and in particular, the women, the women leaders is this elevated self-critic that they are their own worst enemy because they are, they are so hard on themselves mm. um, that it has a detrimental impact to other aspects of their leadership DNA. Mm. Um, so, you know, and, and that, that is preceded the pandemic um, and yet has also gotten worse in the, in the, in the pandemic condition. So that the, the distractibility um, and the self-critic would be the two things that, um, that are the very hard to, because it's behavioral change um, yeah. to, you know, you can diagnose it, but then um, getting it to, to tame it and address it is, is hard. Oh, for sure. I feel you on that. I feel like um, 2020 into some degree 2021 was a lot about pivoting, you know, and, and, and making some shifts because there was so, so much unknown. We had to try a few things to see what was going to work in this different environment. And so I feel like 2022 is like a focus year. So yes, no if you can get back if, now. Yes, if you can get back to focus, right? Yes. Because, it, and that's a, where this would take us is the distractibility is habits. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what are your habits that help keep you in your rhythm of your work, that help you keep you optimizing your time, that help you make the decisions of what you say yes to, to say no to, and things like that. Um, do you have an opinion on habit versus rituals as the words for using that? Hmm. I have, I've never really thought of that. I like that. Um, for me, my, my quick reaction would be a ritual may create an attachment um, where habit um, may ebb and flow. Mm -hmm. uh, and so uh, I always say that, you know, uh, a comfortable habit can be what interferes with you achieving the goals and success you want. 
Yeah. And I would worry if someone was really attached to a ritual that they wouldn't let themselves get uncomfortable with a new habit. Oh, that's interesting. I always pic- pictured it a little bit as ritual. I had more control than mm. doing it for me or something. Okay. Sense or not. Hmm. But I always like the, I like, I like playing with those words to see which ones, if I need to do something, how do I position it in my head so that it's more attractive to me? Yeah. Yeah. But bottom line, whether you use the word ritual or habits, the, the foundation of them are critical, critical, critical to success. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I love that. And then I have one more question to ask you about for people who work with their husbands. What is your biggest lesson or what is your biggest, how have you guys made it successful? Mm. So here's here's the open, honest, vulnerable answer. And and you've known me for a lot of years. I'm a strong personality, right? And and I can be very self-confident and I can be definitive in my views. My husband knows me inside and out. Mm. And he knows how to read me and challenge me in a way that, doesn't see me get stuck in my own perspective. And I don't get um, emotional. I don't get offended, maybe every once in a while, but he can raise things and push me and challenge me in a way that sees me getting to to higher levels. Um, And I think the other thing is that he is probably one of the most, um, you know, just sort of grounded people and he doesn't get, he doesn't overreact to things. You know, he just, there's not a, a whole ton of conflict and a well, quick side story. It's funny. There's things that I may dwell on for a little bit and I'll go back to him for a little bit and I'll say, I've been thinking about this. And he'll look at me and he'll say, I was over that an hour ago. And I'll be like, all right then. So it's like, you know, so it's like the, that some people use the term worry or anxiety. He just doesn't fuss about that stuff. It's all about where are we going? What's next? And so that is just phenomenal. Um, and sometimes I have to step away and think about and digest what he's saying. Um, or he has to come back at me in another way, but we've kind of got this good rhythm um, mm-hmm. in the way we, we tackle that. Um, but he's really, he compliments me um, really well in my business thinking and challenges me um, in a way that really makes me see other, other, other options. That's amazing. Um, when you look down the road, uh, you've niched down to four industries, I think, in particular. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, do you see yourself niching further? Or do you see those as the four that you're going to, we, we, and feel free to name them off. Yeah, yeah. Good, good question. So um, banking, obviously, because I spent a lot of years there, uh, mm. legal, law, uh, accounting, and tech. Mm. And what, what bonds them is the personalities. Um, they're high performance, uh, very ambitious, uh, and usually have this high speed of processing and focusing on, on getting to the task and work done. Um, I, haven't, I haven't contemplated, I like those industries and I know I did go, do great work there. Um, so stay tuned. Okay. You never know, right? The, the business has evolved over the five years, so hard to say. So what, what I, I felt like when you answered me is you, you've kind of narrowed a psychographic so that mm. there might be people within those industries that you won't work with because they don't fit your psychographic. That is very accurate, right? And so I know my fit very quickly um, and I've gotten much better at trusting my gut on knowing the fit yeah. before I even do any of their, their psychological profiling. Uh, and anytime I don't trust my gut, I regret it. So, 
So true, right? Um, what is your final, on our, as we wrap up, Lisa, your final words of advice to entrepreneurs who are ambitious and growing their companies? What's your final mm. word of advice? Don't go alone. Mm. Build, I call it success network. Uh, build your success network, which includes, you know, friends, family, other professionals, coaches, mentors, advisors, um, and be very intentional about how you use them and make sure that there are some people in there who make you really uncomfortable um, because they will tell you what you need to hear, not what you want, what you want them to, not what you want to hear. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for your time today. There are so many great lessons and I really appreciate your time. That was a lot of fun. I enjoyed that. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Real Bottom Line. This show is produced by Black Star Wealth. Executive producer, Wendy Brookhouse. To learn more about the show or to contact us, go to blackstarwealth.com.